0: We're not going to go to that many this morning, but uh, we're going to go through a lot. I'm I'm preaching through a series of sermons on the book of Revelation. Uh, I've gotten to Revelation chapter 20. We're talking about that thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, uh, the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. And as we've gotten to the point of talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, we turn back to Matthew chapter 19. And in Matthew chapter 19, Jesus Christ was talking to Peter, and Peter says, Well, what am I going to get? I've left everything. I've I've left everything for you, Lord. Jesus Christ said, Well, in the regeneration, you'll be sitting on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And we went through how we're gonna we're gonna reign and rule with Jesus Christ in that thousand-year reign. And that regeneration, Jesus Christ referred to it as the regeneration, the regeneration. And last Sunday. I picked it up and showed that there's going to be a regeneration of this earth. This earth's going to regenerate. It's going to become like, and I showed you the scripture, right? It's going to, sh- it's going to be like the Garden of Eden. It said that when Jesus Christ comes back, the mountains are going to be singing, the trees are going to be clapping, the, the stones are going to be crying out. This whole earth's going to come alive. You say, why would the earth start coming alive for Jesus Christ? Because its creator has come back. And it's, and, and the creation is excited that the earth has the earth excited itself that its creator, the Lord Jesus Christ, has come back. And I've got a whole sc- a slew of scripture we went through last Sunday for that. So we're going to pick it back up where we left off in Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11 is where we're going to pick it back up. And we're going to, we talked about the regeneration of the earth. Now let's, let's kick it into another gear and talk about the regeneration of, of animal kind. And I showed you that during that regeneration of the earth, when the earth, when Jesus Christ comes back and starts ruling this world for a thousand years, that the earth comes back alive again. It, and, and what we saw was that the curse that God had put on the earth because of mine and your sin through Adam and Eve, that He starts lifting that curse up. The, thorn, the thorns are done away with. Uh, the, everything starts. The, the, remember, we, if you're sowing, you're sowing seed. And right behind you, somebody's reaping. It's growing that fast. It's just amazing. The earth is, is bountiful, plentiful. And now, animal kind gets a blessing too. Look at verse 6. Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the kid. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling. Together and a little child shall lead them. Brother Hank, do you mind praying over this sermon, please, brother? Thank you. Lord, we just thank you for the blessing of another day. Yes, Father Lord, Lord and, uh, bless Father, Amen. So what I just read to you is a lot of what's painted back here on this black mural behind the pulpit here. You got the lion, you got the lambs, you got Jesus Christ. That is a basically a mural of the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. When the world is going to regenerate, it's going to become like the Garden of Eden again. And it says there in verse 6, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid like a kid goat. So the carnivores become herbivores. Instead of eating each other, instead of eating meat, they're going to start becoming what we call basically vegetarians, but the correct word is herbivores. And the calf, the young lion, and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. So you'll, see your little, you'll send your little kid out, and the, little, the child will come back, and he'll have a big old, uh, big old grizzly bear following along on a leash, just following along like that. You know, that you know what's going on there? Well, he's, just, he's got his little pet there. There's, no, there's nothing to worry about that. See, this is kind of real to me and my wife. Because ju- we have one of our, our oldest cat that we're, was real dear to us. Well, she got a little senile. And we lived next to a couple of dogs in a fence. And I think she thinks she could have beat those dogs up. And we found her where the dogs got a hold of her. And we had to bury the, uh, Mama Belle, as we called her and everything. And these verses came real to me. I was like, you know, there's going to come a time where we don't have to worry about the dogs and the cats chasing each other. Not to worry about the wolf chasing down your livestock out there and the, out there st- out there in the field. The coyotes—you're not going to worry about that kind of stuff. A, this is when animal—the ki- curse on, on animal kind is being lifted up. And look at verse seven: and the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones; shall lie down together. So you got cows and bears lying down together. You got lions and lambs lying down together, like on this picture. All of animal kind is changed. And it says, verse, uh, it says, the young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The carnivores become herbivores. That day's coming. Amen. So it's not only a regeneration of, man, of the earth, it's a regeneration of animal kind. Look, look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. What that verse says right there is just like what I said, one day you wake up and you say, honey, where's the child at? Oh, he's down there playing on the rattlesnakes den. Oh, okay, well, everything's okay then with them. You know? That's what that's saying. There won't, there won't be rattlesnakes biting people. It's gonna be a different, it's gonna be a different time that we can't even imagine. Verse 9 Then shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Amen. Everybody will know the Lord's there. Yeah. Everybody will know the Lord. Remember, we've read that where they were saying, hey, we want to know the Lord. And they get a hold of a Jew. We want to know you because we know you know God. You can show us, you'll show us where God's at physically in Jerusalem. When we looked at all those scriptures, when we looked at Jesus Christ sitting in Jerusalem on that throne. And it's coming. So when we think about, Christian, when you think about Jesus coming back, this is what we're thinking about. Him coming back and 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 straightening all this mess out—not just this political mess we're in, amen— or this racial tension that's going on, or the wars and rumors of wars that are going on. He's gonna. This whole earth is gonna change. It's gonna regenerate. Animal kind's gonna regenerate. Look at Isaiah 65. Look at Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65, verse 25. <clears throat> Isaiah 65, verse 25. Let me get let me grab my water. Isaiah 65, verse 25. There's another prophecy of that time. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock. There it is again. And dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy it. All my holy mountains, saith the Lord. What's interesting, and the reason why I'm reading this verse to you in verse 25, all the changes in mankind, one thing that's not changed in that curse that took place in Genesis chapter 3 is the curse on the snake. It says there that the dust shall be the serpent's meat. He's still on the ground. He's still slithering around. So the snake's still cursed in that sense. And I think that's pretty interesting. Go up to verse 17. Go up, we're in chapter 65. Isaiah 65, go back up to verse 17. So there's going to be a change, not only in animal kind, there'll be a change in mankind. And this is an amazing thing to read, and then we're going to talk about this. Verse 17, For behold, I create, a, create new heavens and new earth, And the former shall not be remembered, nor come into mind. But be ye glad, and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem, and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, But the sinner, being a hundred years old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant, another eat. For as the days of a tree, as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So according to verses 20 and 21, it says the days of the people be like a tree. Look at that oak tree that's a couple of hundred years old. There in verse 20 it says, An infant of days, nor an old man that hath not filled his days, for the child shall die a hundred years old. What that's saying is, is, if you were to die during the millennial kingdom, and these are the people that came through the tribulation period that are left, that are starting to multiply, multiply, multiply. These aren't Christians. These aren't the saved. These are those that come through, now, they're still mankind. And as they're going through, and it says if you, a, a child, if somebody was to die at a hundred years old, they would be dying like it was a child. It would be a shame. So you're seeing that mankind, now that Jesus crossed back on the earth, the earth's regenerated, Satan is put in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. There's no more temptation. There's no more deception. And the earth is starting to become what it's supposed to be like the Garden of Eden. You're seeing that men are living to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. And it says there in verse 22, is the days of a tree are the days of my people. Hundreds of years. What does that remind you of? Well, if you've read your Bible, studied your Bible, that's right back in Genesis. Alright, so turn to Genesis chapter 1. Turn all the way to Genesis chapter 1. Let's try to start figuring some of this out. Genesis chapter 1. Let's start trying to figure some of this out. And I'm going to show you some stuff, and I'll show you what I think is going on here. Not just me, but some other people, but Genesis chapter 1. Just go Genesis 1 1. Go to the first chapter, first verse. Let's go all the way to Genesis 1 1. In In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Earth was void without form, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the earth without form and void, and darkness upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. That's Jesus Christ talking. The Word, speaking, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Verse 6, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So it appears, and I'm going to draw a crude earth here, it appears... That when God was revitalized, that's kind of, that when you, read, the res, when you read, the, uh, read that account, that Genesis account, it's, it almost reads more like a resurrection than it does a creation. Because the waters are there and they're coming out of the waters. But he takes the waters, the earth is like drowned, the earth is in waters. And he divides those waters out. And when he divides those waters out, he, call, he, he, divides, he calls one of them heaven there. The firmament, and he call, God called the firmament heaven. But it appears that when God's doing that, he makes a canopy over the earth at that time. There's a canopy over the earth that's around the earth. And this canopy is either a canopy of water or ice. It depends who's, who you talk to, who studied this out. If you go down to Irving, up in Irving there at the Creation Science Museum, I think they they think it's ice. But there's evidently a canopy there. It looks up here, a canopy that I read to you right there. And if you have a canopy of, of, uh, around this earth, like it appears as, is going on, either a canopy of water or a, or a canopy of, of, of ice, what that would do is that would squeeze oxygen into this, into this earth. And if you squeeze oxygen into this earth, then that's going to help you heal up. So like when, you, when they look at uh, amber fossils, they find amber fossils of like a mosquito, something's in there, and they'll see like a little air bubble in the amber fossil. The scientists will drill in there, and what they found out, that there was a time there was a lot more oxygen and with this canopy like this, with, you have a canopy like this, what's going on with a with canopy like this is squeezing the oxygen like. Uh, you ever heard of a hyperbaric chamber? So a hyperbaric chamber is where they're trying to squeeze oxygen in there to heal you up. So remember when we were looking at this last Sunday, they, uh, we saw that the Bible says the sun will be seven times brighter. So what's, what makes you age? What makes these wrinkles on your face, like I on my face, is, these, is the sun rays. And if you have a canopy of ice or a canopy of water over this earth, not only does it squeeze the oxygen in this earth, but it also reflects off some of these, a lot of these bad rays you're getting that are causing you to age. So when you've got a you got threefold thing going on. You've got a lot more oxygen being squeezed in here. You've got, a lo- you got, the, you got these bad rays from the sun being reflected off. And the third thing it does, it causes a greenhouse effect. So you got the whole earth. Remember it said the desert will start blooming like a rose? We read this together last week. So you see in scientifically, it's not just like Jesus Christ is necessarily doing some kind of magic thing, which he can. He's a creator, amen. But if you go back to Genesis, that's what it looks like happens. And what were men doing? This is before the flood. This is pre-flood. This is before the flood. You read this account of the creation, and it's got this looks like a canopy right there. This canopy. What happens in Genesis chapter 6? The flood. So what the biggest mistake Christians make and scientists, atheist scientists, they make is, is they look at this earth and they don't take into account that there was a flood. When a Christian science, a scientist who's a Christian or a scientist who takes into account that it looks like there was a worldwide global flood, When they take that account, it it starts explaining a lot of what happened here. Because when men were living before the flood, how old were men living to be? Look at Genesis chapter 5. Genesis chapter 5. Let's look at it. Let's just read the Bible together. We're talking about the Bible. Yeah. Let's look at the Bible together. Genesis chapter 5. Look at verse 5. Genesis 5, 5. 5 being the number of death. 5, 5. And all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. 930 years. So, in this environment, with this canopy, with that oxygen being squeezed in, with those, those bad rays, UV, UV rays being bounced off that canopy, and the greenhouse effect taking place, men were living to be seven, eight, nine hundred years old. You ever heard somebody say they're old as Methuselah? You ever heard that? Look at verse 27. This is why. And all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. So, the oldest recorded man in the Bible is Methuselah. So somebody's calling you Methuselah, they're calling you really, really old. So slap them around for them. Hey, the Lord will look the other way. Just slap them. Bow. I'm just joking. Point is, is that this world you're looking at is a post-flood world. So when a scientist sees Grand Canyon, they say, Billions of years, the Grand Canyon, a, the river flowed and it cut that in there. It took billions. And then you get to looking scientifically and that, that river had to be running uphill. What happened there? Well, When you look at it from a Genesis chapter 6 perspective like God told us, it looks like there's massive water coming in there and washing things out. Y'all live here in Texas. After a big flood, y'all see this in dams? Y'all see how that looks? Doesn't that look like little mini Grand Canyons everywhere? That's what happened. And what you have with fossils, what you have with uh, dinosaurs and fossils, if you have a mass extinction, that's why a lot, they're trying to figure that out there there's, must have been a meteor, and it wiped them all out, and everything. when a meteor is called it's called a flood, and when the waters of the deep broke, and God broke this up, somehow or another, I don't know if, if God had a, had a comet hit this, hit this canopy, in Genesis chapter 6, for the flood, or he, he literally he just broke it himself, however it happened, when this canopy came down, all that water in this canopy, came down on the earth, now if it was ice, it could have helped explain the ice age, if it hit up here, so, this earth was a greenhouse effect. So, what happens? Then you have ice up here and ice, ice down here. So, you're looking at a destroyed earth. You think this earth's beautiful. I think this earth's beautiful. It's destroyed. Wait till God gets back a hold of it in, gen- in the millennial kingdom and regenerates this thing. It's going to be amazing, it's going to be beautiful. But you have men living to be seven, eight, nine hundred years old. So in the millennial kingdom it says that they're living to be hundreds of years old. If you died at a hundred years old, you'd be dying like you were a child. So it looks to appear like it's going back to the Garden of Eden days where men were living to be nine hundred years old. Now turn to Genesis chapter forty seven. Genesis forty seven. Say this to you again. Okay, I'm gonna throw this out there and you can believe it or not believe it, but I've been studying it and I know brother I know some there's some brothers in here have been studying this like I have. I believe this Earth's only about six thousand years old, and I know that's going to make me seem like a quack, a kooky, you know. I I know I'm going to sound crazy, but I think this Earth's only about six thousand years old. And I'll give you, I give first, I'll give you the biblical reason. The biblical reason why I think this Earth's only this Earth's only about six thousand years old is simply because that's the genealogy of the Bible. You take the genealogy of the Bible from Adam, you can take that and scientifically take the genealogy, go through Abraham, go through all the way up and you'll get about 6,000 years. We're we're about 6,000, 4,000 years, and then Christ comes, and then another 2,000 years, and we're looking at 2023. Scientifically, this is why. There's lots of science of why evolution doesn't work. And the main reason, uh, one main reason I can tell you is this little globe out there called the moon. So when you study the moon, scientists study the moon, you know what the moon's doing every day as it's going around the earth? It's moving away from there. Just a little bit. I'm not saying it's moving by feet. It's moving a little bit. That's scientifically proven. So you said, what's the big deal about that? If it's moving one thirty-second of an inch away from the earth every day, what's the big deal about that? It's no big deal if it's 6,000 years, but you got a big deal if it's billions of years. Because you know how close we are back and forth. Tidal waves, they say if this earth was just a little bit closer this way, that the tidal waves would just would be all over the earth. There would be nothing over here. There would be 40-foot tidal waves, 100-foot tidal waves. This earth would be just covered with water. Isn't that what they try to scare you with, with climate change? Amen, they do. Because they know that this is a very delicate thing. You know what this speaks to? It doesn't speak to some... Boom, bang, and all this thing comes into place, and everything starts, billions of years, you know, time doesn't heal all wounds. What this is right here is a design. It speaks to a designer, and scientists are starting to see this. They're not, I'm not saying they're Christians. I'm not saying they're godly. I'm not saying they're deists. They're saying there is an intelligent design to this. I'm not saying that they say they're Christians. They don't, they don't say they're Christians, They're not even saying they believe in a God. They just say there's an intelligent design to all of this. So you know what? somebody like Dawkins, who's the leading atheist, that's a biologist, you know what he says? There must have been aliens come down and plant all of this on this earth right here. Because evolution doesn't work. Because you know, scientifically, you can't get life from this piece of wood right here. You can't get life from nothing. It's scientifically impossible. You gotta have something intervene. We say it's the Lord Jesus Christ as the creator, Jehovah God. A non, a non an atheist scientist will say it was a designer, it looks designed, but it has to be somebody from outside this universe. We call him God. They're trying to say it's an alien. That's how the Antichrist is going to show up. As an alien. He's going to come down. That's how I believe he's going to show himself, present himself as an alien. Look at Genesis chapter 47, verse 9. Genesis 47 this is chapter 47, verse 9. And Jacob said unto Pharaoh, this is Jacob, and to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130. So instead of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, he said, it's all, mine has been 130. Notice what he says. Few, few and evil have the days of the years of my life, man. <laughs> Somebody says, yeah, I'm 130 years old, and I've, I've lived a few years. I, I think so. But he says a few years because compared to what look what he says, and have not attained unto the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage, when they were living to be four, five, six hundred years, like Seth, I mean Shem, Michel, all these people that they're recorded in the Bible. So after the flood, all that changes. All that changes. Another thing about the moon. So when NASA was going to send NASA was sending out the astronauts the first moon landing, they had to send they sent out a probe first that landed on the moon. You know why that la- they sent that probe out for this one main reason? They were worried that when they landed on the moon that they would sink in about 60 feet full of dust, because in their mind this Earth this moon has been there for billions and billions of years, no atmosphere, and it's been and with the sun beam down on it. It's cause it's caused it to deteriorate. It's dust. Billions and billions and billions of years, there should be about 60 feet or more. Sometimes maybe a mile. Some of them estimate even maybe even a mile deep. We don't know how old the universe is. Of just dust, and they're afraid they were going to land on the moon and just sink down. So you see the moon landing. You see they always had the, those big old discs. They were fra- even um, Armstrong was worried that when they got there they were going to sink down. All the dust is on there. You know what happened when they got down there? When they got to the moon, they found about an inch full of dust. It's about an inch deep. You know what that says scientifically? That's about six to eight thousand years old. That's right. Where your Bible's at, right there, yes. brothers and sisters. This book right here, called the Evolution Handbook, it's actually against evolution, but it's about a thousand pages of just evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence after evidence about how evolution doesn't work. If you want to grab it, you can probably find it online for like five dollars. Because of this, NASA first sent an unmanned lander, which made the discovery that there's very little dust on the moon's surface. In spite of that, Neil Armstrong feared that he and Edwin, Edwin Aldrin might suffocate when they landed. But because the moon is young, they had no problem. Landing on, the, on July, of course, 20th, 1969, they found an average of three-quarters of an inch of dust on its surface. That is the amount one would expect if the moon were about 6,000 to 8,000 years old. You got the right book. This book is not a scientific book. It's not a book of science, but when it speaks about science, it's always 100% 100 accurate every time. Look at Job chapter 40. Job chapter 40. i got a little bit of time. Job chapter 40. So I'm showing you that this is a regeneration, and we've already seen it in Genesis. So when I was a young man, what kept me from getting saved, and I know this is going to sound crazy to y'all. I mean, of course, I was a sinner. That's one of the main things. But what kept me from getting saved was dinosaurs. So I was a young man, and I, I love dinosaurs. As a matter of fact, when I was a young man, I wanted to be a paleontologist. And uh, when I grew up, be like Indiana Jones, be an archaeologist, paleontologist, dig around. And of course, that didn't work. I'm too <laughs> stupid for that. So I had questions about dinosaurs. And I remember asking this preacher, I said, uh, Where did dinosaurs come from? And that preacher is an old preacher. He's a professor at Howard pain. I think I've told, told you all Sir, He's a professor at Howard pain. You know what he told me? He turned to me and he said, did God make rocks? I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, well, God made dinosaurs. <laughs> he walked off. <laughs> like, that's not the answer you give Keegan Hall. I, I want the Bible, right? So I want to figure this out. So I started studying this stuff out, and I went really deep into it. Because I got saved, but I still had those questions. So I got saved. I started digging into this. Like, where did dinosaurs come from? What so what I found out is dinosaur just literally means just terrible lizard. That's what it means. Dinosaur literally means terrible lizard. If you go back to the 1828 Webster's Dictionary, there's no definition for dinosaur. That word's not in there. Dinosaur is a fairly new word in the English language. But what happened was they started finding these fossils, and they would find, like I said, they found beds of them, beds, fossil beds. And they're like, what? And they started finding, here's something else they started finding. They started finding like seashells on top of Mount Everest. And the scientists were like, how did that get? how did seashells get up on top of Mount Everest? You know, we have, we have our little kids in Sunday schools like, the flood, <laughs> the flood. It's pretty simple when you know the Bible, amen. So what I found out was that you have a reptile, terrible lizard just a terrible reptile. You have a reptile living in this environment. Here's a, here's a great scientific truth. Reptiles never stop growing as long as they live. You have a snake that's a 100-year-old snake? It's going to be a 100-year-old growing snake. Turtles, y'all have seen those big 100-year-old turtles? You see them in zoos? They're, you know, just huge suckers. That's what a a reptile does. So lizards and a lot of fossils they're finding are just simply reptiles. So you put a reptile in this environment, like we had before the flood, and you have them growing to be big, 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 big. And then after the flood, flood drops they're going to they're become extinct. A lot of them are going to go extinct. But here in Je- Job chapter 40, look at verse 15. I think God's describing one to Job. Job chapter 40, verse 15. I think God's describing one to Job here. And he calls him Behemoth. Behold now, Behemoth, which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. Now I'm thinking what he's going to describe here is going to be what? They call them different names now, but when I was a kid, look at this little crew. And you see, I'm drawing it like I was a kid. A brontosaurus. And he's there, he's eating some grass right there. He's not smoking a cigarette, he's eating grass. All right, verse uh, 16. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, his force is in the navel of his belly. Enable navel of his belly, he moveth his tail like a cedar tree. So he has that long tail. And that, that's the main thing I think about a brontosaurus, and I'm going to try to draw a crude one here again, is they have that long tail that comes out, you know. He has a tail like a cedar tree. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He, th- he that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. He lies on the shady trees and the covert of the reed and fens. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook come past him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. This is a big old creature that's drinking a lot of water. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. You can't take him is what he's basically saying there. You can't take him. So I think what God's doing, do y'all know this about the Bible, that that's the oldest book of the Bible right there I just read you? That's the oldest book of the Bible is Job. Job was, was the oldest written book of the Bible. So Job was a contemporary of Methuselah and all of them. So when Job was living, Job was coming out of that after the, and, and he's, God's showing him this creature, and God says, what the context of this is God saying, you think you're some special, Job? Look at Behemoth, look at him. And you're thinking you're something. And then he goes into verse chapter 41, and look at chapter 41, verse 1. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with a hook, or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? And he starts describing a creature called Leviathan. Skip down to verse 14. Job chapter 41, verse 14. Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a closed seal. One is so near to another that no error can come between them. They're joined one to another. They stick together. that They cannot be sundered. By his kneesings, that'd be like sneeze, a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his, look at verse 19, out of his mouth go burning lamps and sparks of fire leap out. He's fire-breathing. It's a fire-breathing water dragon is what that's describing. Leviathan is nothing more than a fire-breathing water dragon that God's describing to Job, showing Job this. Verse 20, out of his nostrils goeth smoke as out of a seething pot of cauldron. Y'all seen the Chinese dragon? Like you've seen that Chinese dragon? That's what that's describing. He's Leviathan, he's in the water, he's got smoke coming out of there, he's fire breathing. That's kind of what he's describing. What I'm trying to say is all those old tales that they used to t- talk about, all those things, the, the stories that the, they would say that they'd seen, those old dragons they'd see, say they'd seen everything, I think they were seeing old, uh, old dinosaurs that were just dying out back in the day. And he goes on to describe, uh, he goes on even more to describe, his breath kindled the coals, and flame goeth, out, flame goeth out of his mouth, verse 21. What I always think is interesting is the Bible talks about owls and rabbits and all kinds of animals, lions and bears, and we know all those to exist, but when the Bible talks about behemoth and Leviathan, oh, that never existed. And God's describing it like he's describing it to Job, like Job knows exactly what he's talking about. It makes you wonder. So a lot of the stuff that you're seeing in myth, some of it's not so mythical. Some of them are around. They just have died out. They've just become extinct. I'm not saying the Loch Ness Monster was real. But I'm just trying to say that after the flood, the world changed, and a lot of these animals died out. And a lot of times when you get to looking at fossils, you'll find out what they're finding. They're finding fossil beds. And what that speaks to is something died. All a fossil is is something dies quickly and gets buried by mud. That's the only way you get a fossil. That's the only way you get a fossil. Something dies and gets buried by mud. So when you got something die being buried by mud, and, it, and then you go and it's a bed, of it's like this water carried all these dead animals. And so birds float, right, on the water when they die. So after the flood, when, when a geologist sees that, he goes and he digs, and he says, these big creatures like, like brontosaurus, they're at the very bottom of the, of the dirt. At the top of the dirt are all these birds. So we think, as a Christian, I think, okay, the flood came. It starts settling down. It, as the mud settles down, everything heavy is floating to the bottom. The birds are the last. A scientist reads that, and a scientist says, this evolved over millions of years into a bird. That's why you're an ape originally. You evolved over millions and millions of years. They got a problem. There's no fossil showing that. There's no fossil showing a man... Evolving from an ape, even if they found some and they claim them and what you see them and the, you see them in the picture books where they'll show like an ape, and they'll show a man, and they'll say, magnum man like this." A lot of times, you know what that is? It's a tooth. They'll find one tooth, and they'll design this picture right here with one tooth. That's how desperate they are. But they don't just need one fossil to link an ape to a man. They need millions of fossils to link all these creatures together. Evolution don't work. They know it now. So now they got a new thing called Neo-Darwinism, New Darwinism. They say, okay, what happened was there was an evolutionary leap. There wasn't a transition like we've been teaching you for 200 years. What happened was an alligator had an egg, laid an egg, and out of that egg hatched a bird. And Mother Nature leaped ahead. Because they always say, Mother Nature this, Mother Nature that. And what they don't get, it's all about Father God. Guys, I know some of this stuff is strange to y'all. A lot of y'all have never heard any of this stuff before. Dig into it. If you're interested, dig into it. I can't give it all to you. I'm sure not smart enough to remember it all. But if you want some evidence, go in there and look. You'll be amazed when you start looking at evolution and creation. You'll start finding out, hey, a lot of scientific fact, it lines right up with my Bible. Let's close in Isaiah 2. Closing Isaiah two. We're closing. So there is a regeneration of mankind. Mankind, and I, I'm leaving this up here because this is the earth. It's gonna. I believe there'll probably be another canopy put up. There'll be another earth. Uh, there'll be a regeneration of the earth, like a Garden of Eden. It'll be an amazing time. But look at Isaiah chapter two. Look at verse one. And this is the. This is it. This is what we're all looking for in this room. The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow into it, into Jerusalem. All nations, America, Canada, all nations go to Jerusalem. We read about that, right? Verse 3, And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. To the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's Jesus sitting on that throne preaching the word. The law is going out. That's Jesus with the rod of iron. Amen. I can't wait. Look at verse 4, though. This is what we've all been waiting for. And he, talking about Jesus Christ, shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And notice right here and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Praise God. Peace. We don't have to worry about carrying a gun with us everywhere we go. There won't be no more building up wars. There won't be wars because the Prince of Peace is sitting on this earth ruling a wonderful creation. Man will change, mankind will change. The only problem, brothers and sisters,, there's, only thing, there's one thing left that's not changed. <laughs> me and you. When I say me and you, mankind in the sense of the Adam nation, the, the Adamic nature, the, nat- the fallen nature of Adam and Eve is still here. And if you read in Revelation 20, did y'all read ahead already? You know what happens? Satan is, after this thousand year reign, the earth is beautiful, everything's wonderful, people are living to be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old, the lions are laying down with the lamb, kids are, kids are playing on rattlesnake stands, the earth has never seen a thing like it, and after a thousand years, Satan is loosed for one season, the Bible says. You know what the Bible says about what the people do then? These people, this earth will be probably about a billion people on this earth or more. It says they'll follow Satan like the sands of the sea. It's like, one, to me, it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. That when you see Jesus Christ physically sitting on the throne, and you see Satan, and you say, I'll pick Satan over Jesus. But that should warn you just how deceptive Satan can be in a person's life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you an opportunity in a minute. We're about to give an invitation. Come on down. Hello, friends. This is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church That you may know that you have eternal life. And that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3 verse 16. And most people have heard this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world, but verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. for God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18 he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. upon him